This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Getting to Know Your Bible. I'm Ray Reynolds. Just wanted to share with you a few thoughts as we begin our podcast today. Uh, we are excited to present to you a series of lessons from the South Florida Avenue Church of Christ in Lakeland, Florida, where Billy was privileged to do a gospel meeting just a few years ago. We partner with them in allowing this to be on air and hope that it will encourage you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. We also want to encourage you, if you've not done it, to sign up for the free Bible correspondence course. This course is offered by mail. Uh, the phone number and the information will be presented to you here in just a moment, but we would be really pleased if you would sign up and enjoy this wonderful series to get to know your Bible just a little bit better. I'm going to pause now for some information about that course, and, all, and right after that, we'll have our message from Billy Lambert. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course, and I emphasize to you that this course is absolutely free. We want you to have it and that you might know more about the course, what's involved in the course, and how you can take the course. Let's just pause for a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to lift a passage out of the verses that Brother Brian just read for us, and I'd like to lift out verse 9 from that series of ten passages where Paul wrote be not weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not one of the preachers in our area came to see me a number of years ago and he was so discouraged. And he began the conversation like this. Do you, do, do you know of a place I can move to? I said, well, why are, are you wanting to move? Well, he said, the congregation on the other side of town hired a youth minister. And two of our... Teenage girls have started going over there. I said, you want to move because two teenagers are starting to go church across the... Yes. I said, if you came to me looking for sympathy, you've come to the wrong place. I said, what you need to do is to practice a little bit of what you preach and practice the 6-9 principle. He said, well, what is that, Brother Lambert? I said, Galatians 6-9. Be not weary in well-doing, 
For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I said what you need to do is strap yourself in the saddle and stay in for the ride. I'll tell you when he, that fellow strapped in he stayed a long time because he's still there and that was over 30 years ago. They can't run him off. The Christian in living the Christian life is not without our having some disappointments along the way. You might not be aware of it, but even Christians can get chiggers and poison ivy. <laughs> Sadness and heartache sometimes invade the life of the Christian. In Job 14 and 1, Job said that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job chapter 5 and verse 7 tells us that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I used to wonder what that really meant. Maybe it means that just as certainly as the sparks fly up from the fire is just that certain that we're going to have a certain amount of problems and disappointments in this old world. And we are not insulated from it as children of God. Those preachers that would tell you to you become a Christian and there will never be any problems in your life are, not, are, are doing you a disservice because it is not true. Children of God and those who serve God can have problems too. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 4, about verse 8, he said, We are troubled on every side. Can you imagine everywhere you turn that there's some kind of problem? If you doubt that, read the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, beginning about verse 23, where he talked about being stoned and in the shipwreck and, and in peril. Everywhere he went, he was in a peril. So we're going to have a certain amount of that. And among the burdens that we bear in this life it is the realization that some of those of our brethren who at one time were faithful are no longer walking in the light. Verse 1 of Galatians 6 says, If, we, if man's overtaken in a fault, that we are to restore such a one. That word restore is a, is a medical term, which literally means to get back into joint again. Put it in joint. And for the most part, those who become unfaithful do so not because of some earth-shaking experience that's happened in their life, but they do so because they have grown weary in well-doing. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you remember the day that you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember that day that you were buried with Jesus Christ in, in baptism and you were added to the kingdom of God? Do you remember all of the resolves that you had in your heart? You're going to read the Bible. 
You're going to attend all the services. You're going to pray every day. You're going to invite people to come with you. You had all kinds of resolves in your heart. Do you remember the love that you felt for the Lord on that occasion? Something often happens along the way. And people can become so weary in well-doing that they become unfaithful to the Lord. Why do you suppose that happens? And I want to give some possible reasons, not all of them, but some possible reasons as to why men and women may grow weary in well-doing. And I think one of the reasons is because we rely entirely too much upon carnal energy. I mean by that we rely too much upon ourselves and not rely upon the Lord. It is when I rely upon myself that I become the weakest in my life. But sometimes people may grow weary in well-doing because they have eye problems. That is, they're talking about themselves. I this, I that. I did this, I did that. And they're not relying on the Lord. We need to rely upon Him who can give us strength to endure. In Psalms chapter 55 and verse 22, there the Bible says, Cast your burdens upon the Lord, and He shall sustain you. And it is only by casting our burdens upon the Lord that we can have the strength we need. The strength that you and I need in living the Christian life does not come from within ourselves, but it comes from God himself. And there's no other way. The, 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 the passage of scripture upon which the song we just sang is based is Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord shall do what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The strength we need comes from God. When I rely upon Billy's strength, I'm going to fail. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and I don't know what his thorn was. Some think he was a cranky old bachelor. I don't know what, it, what, what the thorn might have been. Some think that, that, that all kinds of ideas about it. But, but it doesn't matter what it was. He prayed about it. And that's what we ought to do today when we have something troubling us. We ought to pray about it. Three times he prayed about it. And God's answer to that prayer in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 9 is that my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God's strength is perfected in us when we rely upon him. You recall Paul's statement in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me and without him we are nothing John 15 verse 5 another reason I think that we grow weary in well doing is because we get caught up in the cobweb of materialism 
That has sapped the vitality out of a many a Christian. Jesus warned about it in Luke 12, 15, about that is materialism. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And brother, we possess a lot of stuff. I tell them at home, we have more stuff than you can imagine. Just stuff. Just stuff. I said, we have so much stuff that we have to go out and to rent a storage shed to put our stuff in. And the truth of the matter is the cost of the storage shed is more than the value of the stuff you put in the shed. But we have so much stuff in America that we have to buy a shed somewhere to put it in. We have more in abundance than we've ever had before in this country. You say, well, Brother Lambert, you don't understand the times in which we live. Oh, yes, I do. And we still have more stuff than the average person in the rest of the world. And if we're not uh, uh, careful, we will allow the material things of life to, to sap us spiritually and cause us to turn our backs upon the Lord. You see, you've got to be plugged in to the power. And the power is not in stuff. The power is in God himself. I read this somewhere. I, I, I don't know how accurate it is today. It might need to be updated just a little bit. But that a hundred years ago in America, the average person had 72 wants. Do you have any wants tonight? I want this, I want that. A hundred years ago, the average person had 72 wants and only... <laughs> 16 of them were necessities. But a hundred years later, it is estimated that the average American has 492 wants and only, only 94 of those wants are necessities. We want a lot, don't we? You ask me why do we grow weary and well-doing? Sometimes it is because of the wants we have. You know, I, I remember Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Do you realize that anything beyond food and raiment is a luxury? It really is. That is just to survive, to live. Anything beyond that is a luxury. And when we begin to have more wants than we need, oh, I, I think about a man one time. I was in a gospel meeting in the state of Georgia, and one of the men said, Brother Lambert, can I talk to you after the service? I thought he got a little offended at something I might have said. That's always a possibility, you know. And, and, uh, the preacher said, well, you can use my office. We went in that man's, in the preacher's office, and that man went crying like a baby. He said, Brother Lambert, my wife's leaving me. I said, well, what in the world's going on? He said, I don't know. I've done all I can do to provide for her. He says, I've got a full-time job. And he told me how much money he made on that one. I didn't care how much he made. That wasn't my business. 
Then he said, I've got a part-time job. He told me how much he made on that job. And he says, I've got this much equity in our house. And he began to tell me all of the things that he was providing for his family. He said, I just don't understand it. Well, the one thing that he wasn't providing for his family was him. He was so wrapped up in the material aspect of life that he was overlooking the most valuable jewel that he had and that was his own wife and his own family. And sometimes we sell our souls to the devil for stuff. Another reason we might grow weary and well-doing because we become so conscious of all of the different success standards that other people set for us. There are a lot of people that have this idea for their children. I want my children to be successful. I don't think there's anybody that says I'd like for my children to be failures. And I want my children and my grandchildren to be successful in life. But what does that really mean? What some people mean when they talk about success is I want my daughter I want her to go off to college and I want her to meet a young man of stature. I want her to meet a young man that comes from, you know, one of those families where they've got, you know, that green stuff. they got a lot of that. I want her to really be successful and I want her to marry into money. Now, you say, Brother Lambert, nobody would think that. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Sometimes a man says, well, I want my son to be successful. And what he means by that is I want him to be the best athlete he can while he's down here in grammar school. I'm going to push him hard because, you see, one day I want my son to be such a good athlete that every college in America I want him to play for him. And once they get through with him, there's every NFL team in America will be knocking on his door wanting him to play for him. So that's his idea of success. Here's a preacher who says, you know, for me to be successful as a preacher, I've got to have him coming down the aisle every Sunday. Well, I've got news for you. You're going to be a failure if that's your idea of being a success. Let me tell you something tonight. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, God is not going to say, well done, good, and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, good, and faithful servant. I'm so thankful God doesn't require me to be successful. You say you don't think you ought to try to be successful. I need to do the best I can. But if I've got the idea that people coming down the aisle when I preach is my concept of success, I ought to stop preaching and get out of the preaching business altogether because God doesn't require any gospel preacher to be successful. He requires him to be faithful in proclaiming the Word of God. And sometimes you're not as successful. Think about poor old brother Noah. Some of our preachers would have bailed out on the Lord a long time. But had they been back there in Noah's sandals? 
And here's Noah's told to get ready. A flood's coming. Noah gets out and preaches. You know how long he preached. And every time Noah, you don't have a scoreboard in here. This is not really the church of Christ. You know, most churches of Christ have a scoreboard. Tennis last Sunday, tennis today, <laughs> tennis a year ago. You don't have a scoreboard in here. And every time poor old brother Noah would look at the scoreboard, he'd say, Eight. Ten years go by, he'd look at the scoreboard again. Eight. That's not the standard of success for a preacher of the gospel. And that's not the standard of success for a church. Success standards of the world will destroy us. Sometimes we, we think we, we measure success in dollars and cents. Sometimes we measure success in, in excitement. You, you got to be excited all the time. Some people think in the church you got to be excited all the time. If, if that's what you're looking for, why don't you get on a roller coaster? If you're looking at, for, for excitement, why don't you become a NASCAR driver and get in a race car? Because I'm telling you, living the Christian life is not a thrill a minute. If you think you've got to be thrilled all the time, you're going to get weird and well-doing. Sometimes we become weird and well-doing because we just really crave those compliments of people. We want them to pat us on the back and tell us what a good person we are. Now granted, don't we enjoy that? We appreciate that when people do. You know, when they're sincere about it. I've had brethren come out the door and tell me, Brother Lambert, I sure enjoyed that sermon. And I watched him all during the service. He slept through the whole thing. <laughs> now, he wasn't very sincere in what he said. A preacher or a Christian, any Christian, is not serving God because of compliments. In John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, there the Bible says that among the chief rulers many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they would not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And when, a, when, when we begin to love the praise of men more than the praise of God, we're in trouble, folks. Go, go, go Galatians 1.10, listen to it now. Do I now persuade men or God? That's a question. Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? That's a good question. Do I seek to please men? As a congregation, are we trying to please the people? Are we trying to make everybody happy? I learned a long time ago, you can't make everybody happy. I try to make God happy. Do, or do I seek to please men? If yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You can't please God and please man at the same time. It just is not possible. So if we're craving the compliments of people, I, don't, I really do not believe, and I hope you understand this, that we need to deliberately try to be offensive to people. As a matter of fact, I think we ought to conduct ourselves so that we have the favor of people. Acts 2.47 is a passage that teaches that. But we cannot compromise. There's no way we can compromise the truth of God in order that people will like us 
It may, it would just will not happen. But then sometimes we grow weary in well in well doing because of the reverses and disappointments that we have in life, and and you don't live long until you have some of those. You say, well, brother Lambert. In what should we not grow weary? Let, let me just give you a, a, a list of things here that I want to suggest that, that, that we just need to keep pressing on. And I would suggest, first of all, that we should not grow weary in our defense of, stand for, and love of the truth of God. At no time should we ever grow weary in doing that. And we live in a, in a world today where there are so many different things that are taught and believed. And, 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 uh, and sometimes it's mind-boggling. And we may think, well, what's the use? Let's just press on. You see, the First Timothy 3.15 teaches that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are to be the foundation. We're to uphold, as it were, the truth of God. Jude 3 tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. And earnestly means you just keep at it. Don't ever stop. Don't ever grow weary in doing that. Paul said in Philippians 1.17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. And the word set means, I, I, to me it means you got your feet planted firmly and you're not going to move. I am set to defend it. Let's not grow weary in doing that. Thank God we've got a, a, a school here training young men to do this very thing. And the elders of this church, of course, are concerned about that. Let us not grow weary in our, in our worship to God. I, I have long wondered why men would grow weary in worshiping God. I don't understand that, do you? The God who made us, the God who redeemed us, the God who loves us, the God who gave us his son. Why would people not want to worship him? We ought to have the happy attitude of David when he said in the 122nd Psalm, the first verse, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. To worship God. I guess it was about the mid-70s. I was in a gospel meeting with a preacher whom I'd known and thought a lot of. He was a good gospel preacher. But he had grown weary in well-doing. He said, Billy, he said, I don't preach on church attendance anymore. I don't preach on it anymore. I said, why not? He said, because the people are tired of hearing it. But God's not. Let's not grow weary in worshiping him. If you want a fresh view and a fresh vision of being in God's presence, let me give you a little assignment tonight. Go home and read the sixth chapter of Isaiah. 
It's my belief that the sixth chapter of Isaiah was Isaiah's prophetic call to the, or his a call to the prophetic office. And in that in that sixth chapter, Isaiah was caught up into the very throne room of God. And when we come to together to worship, whether it's on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, God's here. And we are not the audience. We are the participants. That the Lord is the audience. And we come together to worship him. Let's not grow weary. Let, let's not grow weary in our reading and studying the Bible. That's so fundamental. But wonder what, what we would learn if we went into the average congregation this next Lord's Day morning. And, and that we were to ask people, we want you to be honest with us now. And we'd like everyone that reads the Bible every day to raise their hand. And then a few hands go up. You see, I've done this at home. I, know what, I, I don't know whether we're characteristic or not. Then ask those that, what, did, those that just maybe missed two days, raise your hand. And I have never had the courage to ask those that didn't read it at all to raise your hand. There, there are some of our brethren that are telling us and these are older preachers. You know, I'm a still a young preacher. I don't know what. Don't let this uh, hair up here fool you. I'm still a young preacher at heart. So some of the older preachers are saying, we don't know the Bible in the Lord's church like we used to. Well, I don't know what it was like when you were in school. But if I wanted to pass an English test, I had to study English. If I, I, if I wanted to try, and I said try to pass a, a geometry test, I had to study it. I couldn't hardly pronounce it, much less work it. But you have to study the subject. And maybe the reason we don't know as much about the Bible... And we haven't studied it like we should. We need to get back to just studying the Bible. When I teach a Bible class, I just study the out of the Bible. It's chapter. It's a. It's a. It's a verse by verse study. I try to ring as much out of a verse as it can be wrong. And sometimes I'm not a very good ringer, but I do the best I can with it. We need to get back to the Bible and studying the Bible and not grow weary in it. I, I'll say this, uh, Brother Brian, I, I've got a telephone. I, I, I left it at the room because I, I don't know how to turn it off, so I didn't want him to ring it in here. <laughs> and uh, I've got an iPad. I left that at home. I didn't want to get broke. I've got a computer. But I think that we have spent so much of our time with gadgets are you listening? That we've not spent enough time with the book. Don't grow weary. 
Let us not grow weary in shepherding God's flock. And I say to this to, to, to those of you that are elders, I'm a, I, as a fellow elder, it can be a, a, a task that you're glad to do, but sometimes you can get so weary. I know. Some, sometimes there are problems you have to deal with that are very delicate. So sometimes there are fires you have to put out. You know what I mean? The, 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 we, there are four of us that serve as elders at Summerdale, and we put out so many fires in the last several months, the soles of our shoes are burned off. But thank God after you get them put out, you've got peace in the valley. Please don't grow weary. Peter was an elder. And Peter wrote to, to us and he said, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And here it is, brethren. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Be not weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in evangelism. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Paul in the Roman letter said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear of him of whom, uh, uh, of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? We need more preaching of the gospel today. Not less. We need to be evangelistic. If you don't, you're not going to remember much of what I said tonight. I, I know that. I, I may not even remember much of what I said tonight. Remember this. Think souls. Think souls. Everybody you see tomorrow has a soul. It may be a waitress at a restaurant. It may be the policeman that pulls you over. It may be the person that hands you your clothing at the laundry. But they've got a soul. 
You know, one of the saddest statements there is in all the Bible is in the 142nd Psalm, verse 4, where David said, No man cared for my soul. Caring for people's souls involves a conviction as to the existence of that soul. That if there, man has a soul. It was said of one of the matriarchs of old in Genesis 35, 18. She, was, she, she died in childbirth, it says, and while her soul was a departing, for she died. People have a soul. God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Caring about a person's soul involves a conviction as to the value of it. How much is a soul worth? How much is a soul? Just one soul. How much is it worth? Jesus asked, for what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If we want to understand something that about the value of the soul, you take your Bible and you turn to the 27th chapter of Matthew and you read afresh about Jesus dying on that cross. That's how much a soul is worth. Just one soul. And I heard someone make this statement once and I thought, well, maybe he's just mistaken. But I don't think so. He said, if you had been the only person that ever lived, God loved you so much that he would have still given his son to die for your sins. That's a lot of love, isn't it? And, and so the, the soul of man is so valuable. Uh, when we care about a person's soul, that means that we understand there's, there's a danger to which it's exposed. And, and see, people can lose their souls. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, the writer said, we're not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the, what? Saving of the soul. The soul can be saved. The soul can be lost. Sometimes we talk about people losing their souls like there's going on, going on a vacation to Smoky Mountains. But that's not going to be a vacation. People can lose their souls. And souls need to be taught. Somebody has to teach them. I remember several years ago, we, we had just baptized quite a number of people where I was preaching and, and uh, just in rapid succession. And those of you that preach know that happens. And then you'll have a dry spell for a while and then it'll happen again. That's just church work. So one of the preachers called me. He said, I, I hear y'all baptized a bunch of people over there. I said, yes, sir, we did. Well, how'd you do it? That's a preacher question. Every time they'll ask, how did you do it? I said, well, it, it, was, it went like this. I got in my car, and I drove out in front of these people's homes, and I got out. And I walked up to the front door, and I knocked on the door. When they came to the door, they asked me to come on in. And when I went in, I asked them to talk about, let, let's talk about the Bible, and let's talk about your soul. And after studying, sometimes it'd take a week, sometimes, I, I studied one one time, remember, seven weeks. And then they were baptized. He said, yeah, but that's work. 
That's work. Souls are valuable. Souls need to be saved. We cannot grow weary in well-doing. I don't, I don't, I like to be as optimistic as I can, I, and I try to be optimistic. And some of our brethren who do studies on what's going on in churches of Christ tell us that we're shrinking in America. Hey, maybe you've heard those th- kinds of things. I don't know. They're talking about people from Africa needing to come over here and evangelize America. Brethren from Nigeria. And said they're already doing that in some places. Well, there's something wrong with that picture. Not that it's wrong for them to come here. It's wrong that we're not doing it here. And I'm going to just give you, I'm talking to you out of my heart. It's not on my outline. I forgot that a long time ago. (laughs) You know why we're having a problem with the Muslims? You, You know why they're taking over? You know why there are so many of them? It's because, brethren, we have not been as evangelistic in carrying the gospel to these countries all over the world and converting them to Jesus, the Savior of the world. We need to get on fire in the Lord's church today. The hour is late. And we can do it. See, I believe the church can grow. It's so simple. It's seed. The word of the Lord increased and the number of the disciples multiplied, Acts 6 and 7. You plant a seed, it'll come up someday. may not come up immediately, but it will come up. It doesn't all come up. But you're going to have a harvest if you plant the seed. Don't grow weary in it. How many do you have on your prospect list tonight? How many people do you know, personally know, that need to know about Jesus that you could influence? Well, then there are brethren that need to be restored. Let's not forget them. Their souls are in jeopardy. What will keep us from growing weary? I believe the example Jesus set will keep us from growing weary. He set an example for us, 1 Peter 2.21. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, listen to the next part of it, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. What an example of not growing weary in well-doing. Think about all the precious promises that our Lord has made. And I wish I had time to give you all eight or ten I've got, but I'm going to just give you one of them. I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. 
I will never leave you. The world may leave you, your family may leave you, friends may leave you, but Jesus made that promise to you. I will never leave you. Another thing in, the fi in, fi in closing that will keep us from not growing weary is the last page in this book. We're at war today, fighting a battle, but we win. You see, we win. We're not fighting that battle from a posture of defeat. We're fighting it from a posture of victory. And then the last page in this book tells us we win. Listen to just a couple of verses. Verse 14, chapter 22, Revelation. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Would that not can be involved in remaining faithful and not growing weary and quitting on the Lord? Blessed are they that do his commandments. They just keep on doing them, keep on doing them. That they, that they may have a right to what? The tree of life. And enter in through the gates into the city. What a blessed promise. The end of this book. Let seven, verse 17 it said let him uh, whosoever will let him come the, let him that is a thirst come whosoever will let him drink of the water of life freely the water of life freely somebody said what is that I don't know but I want to get there don't you <laughs> and I love the way this book ends next to the last verse even so verse 20 even so come Lord Jesus. I love the way that it ends. My mother had Alzheimer's. And my dad kept her at home for as long as he could. She needed to be in the nursing home a long time before dad ever made that decision. But I let him make that decision. And he, and he came to me one day and he said, Son, I, I, I think your mother's going to have to be somewhere else. I said, Okay, Dad. And she was in a nursing home for about five years. She was in an experimental drug program in New Orleans. And every Friday for about for two years, I took her to Oshner's Osh Clinic in New Orleans. But the program did her no good. Maybe it helped somebody else. And I remember one Sunday morning, mother and dad worshiped where I preached. And I remember one Sunday morning, as I was standing at the door, like your preacher does here, stand at the door to greet people as they leave. And I was standing at the side door, greeting people as they would leave. And dad came and stood beside me. And, and he looked so forlorn. And I said, Dad, what, what's wrong? He said, it's your mother, son. She doesn't even know me anymore. You have to understand, mother and dad met in a church service when they were 12 and 13 years old. To say they were soul mates well, was an understatement. And now his soulmate didn't even know him anymore. And I didn't know what to say to him, to be honest with you. But this is what I said.
I said, Daddy, mother's a Christian. I said, she's a good Christian woman. All my life, I can, I, I, I remember all my life her sitting around reading the Bible. Maybe that's why I do it a lot, I don't know. Singing songs, the top of her voice, she had a beautiful alto voice. She taught my daughters to sing alto. Taught Sunday school class. You could get her B.W. Johnson's notes down and there was all kinds of notes she'd written in the margin of it. Notes she, she had in there for her Sunday school class. She'd have notes that she'd written on all kinds of paper. She loved to teach her ladies class. I said, Daddy, mother's a Christian. I said, Daddy, listen to me now, Daddy. Don't forget the purpose of the trip. Don't forget the purpose of the trip. Both of them were the Lord now. And now they know the purpose of the trip, don't they? And I want you to never, ever, ever, ever grow weary in doing what's right. Just don't forget the purpose of the trip. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Please do that. And may I urge you, please, to pick up the phone, call for the Bible course, or if you prefer, take it online. But whatever you do, let's get involved in studying more about the gospel. Please, let's do that. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you. It's my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.